If you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4. Um, have this wonderful closing passage uh, that really takes um, everything we've been looking at, starting back in Colossians 3, the first four verses, that you have died, you've been raised, and your life is hidden with, with Christ in, in God. And we've seen how that fundamental reality of who we are in Jesus Christ, it was true about us in Christ, how that's played out in terms of putting our sin to death and uh, living with the various Christian virtues within community. And then within the household, we saw marriages and parenting. And, and then last time, Robert did such a fabulous job talking about um, how masters and slaves not only teach us about uh, what, what ultimately the gospel meant to do to that relation, but also to shape us in terms of how we live out our callings as employers and employees today. Uh, this, this evening we come to this final passage and we have uh, further instructions concerning what gospel-centered relationships look like, but then we have these illustrations and these final greetings that Paul has of, of this is what it looks like to be in partnership in the gospel. This is what it looks like for the gospel to shape the way we do life together, but also the way we do ministry together. Uh, the gospel of Jesus, of Christ supreme and sufficient, is central to everything. That's what's going on here. But in order to see it clearly, uh, we need not only to read the Bible, we, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come as your people this night, and we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would open our eyes of faith tonight, that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. And as we seek to remember the Lord's day, to keep it holy, uh, that you would use this word to shape us into holy people, uh, sanctifying the day and yet sanctified by the word of the day. Do your work in our hearts, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Colossians chapter 4 beginning in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristotarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. 
always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church at her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've mentioned this several times to you over our years together, so I, I think you know that John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is my favorite book. Uh, and, and one of the reasons why I love that book is, is Christian's picture of the Christian life. It's, it's full of people and people on a journey together. Christian is, is never really alone. Very few points in book one where, where Christian doesn't have a, a faithful or a hopeful walking beside him. And in book two, uh, the, the second part of Pilgrim's Progress that Bunyan writes much later, Christiana is, is surrounded by a large group of pilgrims making their way to the celestial city. In other words, Bunyan wants us to understand that though he calls it a pilgrim's progress, a pilgrim is never alone. A pilgrim is always in relationship with others. He's always part, or she's always part of a, of a community, a community of relationship that helps us get to heaven safely. In fact, one of my favorite pictures in, in either book uh, that makes up Pilgrim's Progress is the one that occurs at the end of book one. You see how valuable it is for us to not be alone, especially when we come to our dying day, when we come to the dark river of death. Hopeful and Christian have come to the dark river. And as they begin to cross, Christian begins to falter. And this is how Bunyan puts it. Christian began to sink, and crying out to his good friend Hopeful, he said, I sink in deep waters. The billows go over my head. All the waves go over me. Then said the other, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom, and it is good. Then said Christian, Ah, my friend, the sorrows of death have compassed me about. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And with that, a great darkness and horror fell upon Christian, so that he could not see before him. Hopeful, therefore, had much ado to keep his brother's head above water. Yes, sometimes he would be quite gone down, and then, uh, ere a little while, he would raise up again, half dead. Then said Hopeful, my brother, you have quite forgot the text, where it is said of the wicked, there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not troubled as other men, neither they, are they plagued like other men. The, the troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God has forsaken you, but are sent to try you, whether you will call to mind that which heretofore you've received of God's goodness and lived upon him in your distress. Then I saw in my dream that Christian was in a muse a, a while, to whom hopeful also added these words, Be of good cheer, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. 
And with that, Christian broke out with a loud voice, Oh, I see him again. And he tells me, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. Then they both took courage. And the enemy was after that as still as a stone until they were gone over. Christian therefore presently found ground to stand upon. And so it followed that the rest of the river was but a shallow. Thus they got over. It's a, it's a great picture and a great point. Christian's point is we don't live the Christian life alone. It is not a solitary journey to heaven. Christianity is not a private faith that I keep to myself, even at church. Rather, the Christian life requires friendships. It requires relationships that point us to Christ. They encourage us to keep going along the way. And ultimately, these friendships, these relationships, they get us safely home to heaven. I think that's one lesson that we learn, not just from Bunyan, but, but from our text tonight. As Paul gives his final instructions concerning what a gospel-centered life looks like, he reminds us that our, our lives are woven together. They're connected together. And undoubtedly this is because all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ are united to him, which means that you and I, we have a common union with Christ's death. We have a common union in Christ's resurrection we have a common union and approach to putting to death our sin and to put on those new practices of holiness. And yet, though we have this common union, we must know in our bones that we need one another. We need one another to get to heaven safely. We need one another's prayers. We need one another's wise words. We, we need one another's partnership in the gospel. In other words, a full grasp of God's grace teaches us that our common relationship to Jesus, our common union with Jesus, transforms the way we look at one another and the way we live with one another. There's three things in particular that Paul tells us that flow from a, a gospel-shaped relationship. If we're going to get to heaven safely, we need one another to do these three things for and with each other. And the first is to continue praying. Gospel-centered relationships, gospel-centered friendships rely on one another continuing to pray for each other. That's what Paul says, isn't it? Look at verse 2. What does he say? He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What, what, we, what we have here in verse 2 is a, is a general statement, a, a general encouragement from Paul. As, as the Colossians fully understand the gospel, they will pray, and Paul urges them, continue, keep on praying, don't give up, continue steadfastly, continue to be watchful in it. Why? Why is it vital for us if we desire to have gospel-shaped relationships? Why is it vital that we continue to pray steadfastly for one another? Well, it's because we, we have a common union with each other. And this common union that, is, is, that ties us together to Jesus, who is our head, and we are his body, it's actually nourished as we pray. 
as we pray to the one who is the head, who is the supreme over the entire universe, as we, as we come to him as our common head, we actually not only pray to him for our particular needs, but we pray to him for your, each other's particular needs. And this is the way that the body flourishes. It's as we continue steadfastly in prayer. It's as we're watchful in it with thanksgiving, as we bring our family and our friends and our burdens and our anxieties, as we, as we carry one another's family and friends and burdens and anxieties. What do we find? We find that those muscles and sinews are, are being strengthened in the body, that our relationships are being shaped and formed by the fact that we are carrying one another to the very throne of grace. Paul calls us to, to continue praying, and he gives us this general instruction, but then he goes on to be specific in verse 3. He says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. How does that strike you? How does it strike you that, that Paul, having told his people that this is what a gospel-shaped relationship looks like, it, it looks like continuing steadfastly in prayer for one another, how does it strike you that Paul says, oh, by the way, pray for me? I mean, this is the apostle Paul. This is the one who he wrote a good portion of the New Testament by, by an, the infallible inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is the Apostle Paul who, who could speak quite sternly to the Galatians or the Corinthians and quite tenderly to the Philippians and the Colossians. This is, this is Paul asking for prayer from the Colossians. He, he does this because he, he too desires gospel-shaped relationship. He too desires to be part of this body where the muscles and sinews include him as well. So I want to say this clearly for myself. I need your prayers. As you pray for others, as you pray for family and friends and for situations and difficulties, I need you to pray for me. And I need you to pray for me as your pastor. And, and I need you to pray for me, not simply, oh, Lord, please bless Sean and, and bless the other pastors on staff and, and grant them your grace and then move on. No, I need you to pray particularly the three things that Paul talks about here. I need you to pray that, that God would open a door for God's word for me among you. Believe it or not, there are times where I feel as though the door is shut. Sometimes I, I, as I preach in different services or teach in different places, I, I feel not that there's an open door, but rather it's more like a closed door and the Heisman, like pushing back. Paul knew that too. I would suggest to you he knew that even among these uh, Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians and Thessalonians and others that he writes to. And so he prays and asks the Colossians to pray that God would open a door for the word, that there might be an opportunity to, to, for God's word to enter into the hearts of his people. Please pray that for me and for us, that there'd be a door open. Pray too that Christ would be declared. 
that, that Christ crucified and what he has done for us, the mystery of Christ, Paul says, that, that week by week by week, that I especially would declare the mystery of Christ. There's so many other things that we could talk about, but none of them are Jesus, which means none of them are the most important thing, the most important person in all the world. And so pray that, that I never walk away from, move away from declaring to you the mystery of Christ. And, and declare and pray that, that I would make sure that as I preach that the gospel is, is clear. As Paul says that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Sometimes it's not always clear, but, but my desire and all of my effort is toward making this as clear as possible. Pray to that end. And when things are not clear, don't, don't shoot me an email and say, you idiot, why wasn't that clear? Pray harder. Pray that God would straighten out those cobwebs in Lucas's head so that the gospel might be clear. See, that's what Paul asks for. And why does he ask for this specific set of prayers? Why am I asking for it? Because I want our friendships and relationships to grow. And those friendships and relationships grow as, as we pray for one another, and especially as you pray for me as your pastor. But Paul Paul gives us a second instruction. If we desire gospel-shaped relationship, not only should we continue praying, but we also should conduct ourselves wisely. That's what he says. Look at verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So conduct yourselves. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Be wise. Certainly that's the case with unbelievers. As you engage with unbelievers, with those outside of Christ's church, it's not simply enough to have relationship with them, to hang out with them. Of course, you, yes, have relationships with unbelievers. Certainly, yes, hang out with them. But, but God desires you to walk in wisdom with unbelievers, to conduct yourself wisely with them, so that in everything you say and do, the gospel's not harmed, but rather it's promoted in and through your relationship with others. But, but in particular, Paul wants us to conduct ourselves wisely in a gospel-directed fashion with every opportunity. In the second half of verse 5, you see it, making the best use of the time. Um, I like the way the NIV renders that second clause. It, it has it as making the most of every opportunity. I, I think that's what Paul's getting at. I think Paul's telling us that, that wise conduct in the world uh, is shaped by grasping every opportunity that comes across our path to direct it to a gospel end. Uh, certainly that's the case with unbelievers. I mean, we, we tend to think that evangelism is really about having the, a big program or, or having a particular pathway or having the right questions or knowing just the right things to say. But, but really, evangelism it simply starts with seizing every opportunity to say something about Jesus. To, to just simply take some part of God's Word and apply it to some, some situation. And so to think, Christianly, and just to simply say that, um, that, oh, this, the Bible says X about this, or, or I was just praying about this the other day, which then creates a pathway, a doorway 
to, to make the best use of time, to make the most of the opportunity with unbelievers. But, but that's also the case with, with believers as well. How often do we go to lunch with each other and we, we ask about kids, and we ask about marriages, or we ask about work, or we ask about school, or we, a range of other things, but we don't ask each other about the state of our souls. We, we don't ask each other, well, tell me about your devotional life, or, or what's, what's one passage of Scripture that you've read recently that's really struck you, or, or where's an area that, where I can pray specifically for you? We don't make the most of those opportunities, which means we aren't conducting ourselves wisely, even with one another, and we're missing an opportunity to not just simply have relationship, but to have gospel-shaped relationships. And Paul especially wants us to use these opportunities to be wise with our speech. That's what he says. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, Paul's suggesting here that when we speak gospel words, we do so graciously. We use our words to bring out the the best in others and more to point them to the one who alone can answer the deepest heart questions we have. It's it's not, when we use our words rightly um, to graciously seasoned with salt. That, that's an image of, of preservation. We desire, in, in the old days, they didn't have refrigeration. So the way you preserve meat is you would layer it with salt, and that's how you actually preserve the meat from corruption. Paul's saying, use your speech not to harm, but to help, to preserve one another's souls so that you might continue safely to heaven. Uh, it, in other words, we don't come to lunch to, to criticize each other endlessly or, or to raise a range of even what we see to be constructive criticisms and then at the end of it say, oh, I hope I encouraged you. Well, no. Encouragement actually looks like, hey, where is an area where I can point you to Christ? Um, here's a place where I, I've seen God's work in your life. Certainly we can all improve in this area, but but here's one place where I see Jesus in you. Using our words to encourage one another, to continue to, to make our way safely to heaven. That, that's what Paul's calling us to. He, he does this in other places. For example, in Titus chapter 3, he tells us that the grace of God, which appears to all kinds of people, teaches us to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all kinds of people. And so as we, as we seek to conduct ourselves wisely, we, we seek to make the most of every opportunity, but especially with our words. So I ask you, as, as you try to develop gospel-shaped relationships here at IPC, how do you seize the opportunities to use your words to spur one another on to Jesus? To, to actually motivate each other to, to follow hard after Christ? How are you, you gentle? How, how do you avoid quarreling with your words, but rather seize the opportunities to conduct yourself wisely in the way you use your words with others? I mean, that's what Paul's calling us to here. If we desire gospel-shaped relationships, uh, we, we, we conduct ourselves wisely. We, we continue in prayer, but But last of all, we we connect with one another in partnership graciously, which is what I think verses 7 to 18 teach us. 
There was an old biblical scholar named D. Edmund Hebert who, who once wrote a book called In Paul's Shadow, uh, which is a fabulous little book. He, he gives a number of brief biographical sketches of many of Paul's friends mentioned at the end of Paul's letters. Um, but, but more important than even the people themselves uh, that are mentioned here is the picture that we get of the way that Paul viewed the Christian life in ministry. He didn't view people as pawns or parts or pieces to be used. He knew that he needed to connect graciously to others as partners. I mean, notice the way that Paul describes these Christian friends. Uh, look again how he describes Tychicus. He calls Tychicus his a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant for the Lord. How does he describe Onesimus? Remember the runaway slave? Our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Aristotarchus and Mark and, and Justice, how does he describe them? Um, Aristotarchus, uh, concerning whom you've received instructions. Uh, Mark as well. Uh, Jesus called Justice. Then he says of these three, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, uh, a servant of Christ Jesus, who's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured of the will of God. He has worked hard for you. And even Luke, uh, the beloved physician. Uh, when Paul describes these partners in ministry, he, he describes them in such loving terms that you realize these aren't just allies. These aren't simply um, kind of confederates, uh, partners. These are friends. These are partners in the Christian life. These are, these are men that Paul saw himself intimately connected to, graciously connected to, those for whom he prayed and, and those whom he loved in the gospel. I, I wonder, who are your partners? Who are those to whom you are connected graciously? I, I'm so thankful for our ministry staff I'm so thankful for our elders, men whom I love and trust, who are, who are partners in ministry, but more, they're friends. They're partners in the Christian life. We have walked through these years together. Um, believe it or not, uh, the stories are not true. We actually have done this thing together, and they've become dear, dear friends of mine. Like Paul describes in these partners, um, such partners with whom we connect um, and, and we work together with toward a common purpose. And that purpose is, is the gospel of God's grace. When, when Paul describes why he's sending Tychicus, what does he say? Verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Uh, when he goes on to talk about Epaphras, why has Epaphras been sent? Well, verse 12, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, uh, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. In other words, the purpose that we have in this common connection, this partnership in ministry and life, is that, is that we might make it to heaven safely, that we might be mature in the gospel that we might grow up in Christ Jesus so that we might look more and more like him. I mean, it's great to have friends with whom we do stuff and spend time and enjoy life. 
It's great to have friends with whom we go to basketball games or, or college football games or hang out at the tailgate. Or It's great to have friends with whom we play golf at the country club or, or go on vacations together. That's all great. But it's even better, even better to have those with whom we connect who encourage us in the grace of the gospel, who pray with us and for us, who share their life with us, who, who spend their life with us to advance the gospel. I, I'd, I'd far rather join arms together with brothers in Christ as we seek to advance the gospel here than do anything else. I have no greater joy, and, and I think our staff knows this, than to see our staff prospering and doing the very thing God's called them to do, which is to, is to point people to Jesus, to advance the gospel cause here. Why? Why is this all so important? It's because we don't get to heaven alone. We do so as part of a colony that makes its way to heaven, encouraging the gospel, centering our lives on Christ, who is supreme and sufficient and satisfying. And when we get to those, our dying moments, we need our friends and our family, yes, to remind us Jesus is real. He is true. He is good. And he will get us safely home. I can't do that on my own. I need you. We need to go together. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we do bless you for this word. We delight in community and relationship here in our church. Lord, we do ask that you would grant us grace, that this would be Christian community, gospel-shaped community, that as we continue in prayer with one another and, and conduct ourselves wisely for and with one another, and as we connect graciously in life and in ministry together, Lord, we pray that you would get us safely home. We, we want to get to heaven together because, Lord, you are the, our only true delight. You are the one we are looking for. We are the, you are the one that we are urging one another towards. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray tonight as we come to your table that you would fill our vision full of yourself. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.